Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Praise God. Thanks so much. It's good to be back home. Uh, we have the ministry to National Prayer Center in Washington, D.C., in which we are able to take teams from all over the country and go into the capital and meet with our representatives and spend time with them. And if you've never been on a team before, I recommend it. It will change your life. You'll never pray the same. You'll never be in the same situation. I mean, it'll, it'll really change your life. You'll see things from a different perspective. Um, we, what we typically do in Washington, D.C. is we take a team, for instance, from your church, and we will meet with your, your senators and your representatives. We'll spend time with them. We'll pray with them. We'll thank them for their service. We will prayer walk the three branches of government, the, the Supreme Court, the Capitol, and the White House. We go in and begin to meet with other Christians and pray with them, Christian leaders. Uh, you will meet candidates for president. Uh, I have met with probably half the candidates for president already, uh, know them personally. I have no idea who to tell you to vote for, so don't ask me. Um, there are some good candidates, but we need to pray that God's will be done and His kingdom come on the earth. And I encourage you just to keep praying for our nation. One thing we have learned in Washington is that we're not, we're not lobbyists. The Bible doesn't say lobby your leaders. It says pray for your leaders. In T- Timothy chapter 2, it says pray for your leaders so you can live a quiet and peaceable life. And so we've learned that over the years, that as we pray for them and we just thank them for their service, something amazing, miraculous happens. They open their hearts. And so we're not, we're not d- Democrat, Republican, Independent. We're just Christians. And we go in there to every, um, every uh, side of the aisle, from the, from the uh, liberal to the conservative to anybody who wants us, non-Christian, Christian, but we're there to bring the presence of God and to carry the glory of God into Washington, D.C., and it truly is amazing what happens. I just encourage you to keep praying for the prayer center and what is, what is going on. We're in critical times, and we need God to interrupt our lives and to show us in which path we should walk. And, I, and so I, I just continue to adjure you to, to pray for us. I'll, I'll just give you an illustration of, of uh, uh, the closeness I've, I've become with many of our senators, including our own senator from Idaho, one of our senators, Senator Larry Craig. I was on the plane the other day. We often fly back and forth together. So I'm sitting on the plane, and we happen to be sat beside each other. And so we were talking, and, and uh, as we were going through this, uh, just encouraging each other, and I, I was telling him how... Of course, we, we prayed for him, and we spent the whole two hours together. We, we've uh, spent many hours together, actually. And we got on a topic, which is very interesting, because I had just come back from Africa, and I had, uh, we'd been in Africa, and we'd ministered to some of the orphans, and, and I'd seen the pain of the many orphans. I come back to America and realize we also have orphans in America. It's called foster care. And there are thousands of them. A foster care uh, support system in America is out of control because of the meth babies and the many things happening. And as he began, as I began to tell him what we had done in Africa and then coming back, and uh, when I got back, we got a letter from the Idaho Health Department asking us as a church to get involved with the foster care uh, development in Idaho. I'd never had a letter like that before with the, uh, with the state requesting something. And so I was telling him that. And all of a sudden he looked at me and says, do you know what I do in the Senate? And I said, well, I think I know what you do in the Senate, Senator. And, and he said, my role is I chair the committee that oversees adoption, foster care, and all of those orphan things. 
orphan issues. And he said, I have just been asked to go to India and to uh, begin to develop an orphanage um, system that will bring orphans from India to America. And he, he oversees all the foster care. Then he started talking about his experience with foster care. He starts crying. I start crying. In the middle of the plane, we're crying together. Here's the senator and the pastor crying as we minister to each other with the realization that God's up to something. God wants to pour out his spirit and his love on every person in the world. And uh, that's why you need to pray for these men because they make uh, laws and issues uh, that are very important and affect our lives. Don't think that your life isn't affected by what happens in Washington because it is. And that's why we need to pray. So I encourage you, uh, bring a team to Washington and spend some time with me. I'd be glad to show you around. All right, I have a word for you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now that your purpose is coming. It's working in us. I thank you that the word of the Lord, it will be strong and powerful for us today. And we believe, Lord, that you have a word that will change us and transform us. Lord, we want to receive by the spirit the the incorruptible word of God in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that as we listen, we will hear, alert our spirits to what you want to say to us now. Let the anointing fall on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just a couple stories that will illustrate uh, as we begin this message. Because many of us, we're we're in this journey of our lives, a spiritual journey, in which we're trying to find out more about God. We're trying to relate to Him, what God's like, and, and how we can become more like Him. And I read a story recently that illustrated what some people think of God. And it was a story about two delinquent boys in a Catholic school. And they'd been misbehaving and they were sent to the principal's office. And the principal knew that what they really needed was God in their life. And so the principal brought the first boy in, set him down and said, Son, I want to ask you a question. And she said this, Where is God? Well, the kid was frightened, scared to death by the question. He didn't know how to answer, so he just sat there. And she asked him three or four more times, where is God? Son, where is God? Well, he said, as as she sent him out, she says, I want you to think about that question as you leave here today. So she sent him out. And the second boy, who was about ready to come in, asked the first boy as they passed in the hallway, what's up? And the first kid said, well, I don't know. But evidently, God is missing, and they're trying to pin it on us. Well, we have funny ideas about God. And today I hope to, uh, as we talk and share, we can, we can uh, you know, find our way through this. Another story recently, a father was trying to take an afternoon nap on a Sunday afternoon in his living room, and his little boy kept bugging him, saying, Daddy, I'm bored, Daddy, I'm bored. So his father, trying to think up a game or something, found a picture of a globe in the newspaper. It was a picture of the world. And he ripped it up in about 50 pieces and he said, Son, this is a puzzle. I want you to put it all back together again. So he laid down to finish his nap, thinking he'd have at least an hour to an hour and a half to sleep because it would take that long for his son to put it all together. But in about 15 minutes, the little boy comes to him and says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm done. I'm finished. It's all put together. And his dad said, Oh, you're kidding. He knew his son didn't know all the all the positions of the nations and, you know, all the globe situation. He didn't know that he didn't know that. So he said, how'd you do it? He said, well, dad, there was a picture of a person on the back page of that newspaper. And when I got my person together, the world looked just fine. 
when you get the person of Jesus Christ put together, your world will look just fine too. And so here we are today to hopefully put our, our person together and understand this. I want to talk to you about a journey I've been on and what God is doing. A few, about four months ago, something dramatic happened, happened in my life, which I will tell you in a few minutes. But over the last four months, I've been on a journey of transformation. Now, I've been a Christian. I was born on Thursday in church on Sunday. So my dad was a pastor, and I've been in church all my life. So I've seen, I've seen church life. I've been impacted by God. I have been growing in my journey, but I realized there were certain areas in my life that need to be transformed. And so I came to my, uh, my creative design team and said, you know, I want to do a, a whole series on transformation. What should we call it? So we decided to call it Transformed. About that time, as you saw in the newspaper, there was a big movie review on, on this movie called Transformers. I haven't seen it, but I heard it's quite science fiction-y and stuff, and, and uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with my message today, but I found it interesting that the same thing that I was speaking of spiritually was being talked about in, the, in our secular uh, culture. But as I began to, to uh, talk to the people about what God was speaking to me and doing to me in, in, in my life, I began to realize that transformation must be an ongoing process in every believer. We must continue on our journey of changing to be like Christ. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a transformed individual. And so God wants us to apply the Word of God and apply things in our life. And so, as you know, I, would, I went to Romans 12, 2, one of the great scriptures of the Bible, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And as I began to go through that scripture, I realized God was, was doing something deep within me. This tells us, this scripture tells us that, that uh, because of being so conformed to the world, there needs to be an ongoing process of transformation because we bring the world into the church. And we need God to remove many of that from us. The word transformation, as you know, means metamorpho or to be totally changed from one nature to another. It means to go from a caterpillar to the, to a butterfly. It means to have experienced such a change in you that you actually are able to be completely different than you were before. Now, I don't know about you, but I like that. I want that in my life. And so this ongoing process of transformation needs to inculcate itself into us. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, who, us who are being saved, us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So salvation or transformation is an ongoing process. I want to be changed today. I want to have God move into my life and change me. But there is a necessary ingredient to all of this transformation. Because many of us have allowed experiences, both known and unknown, to heavily influence our lives, we've been greatly tainted by the world's experiences. Therefore, many of us, because of adverse circumstances in our life at some time, we have turned off some area of spiritual life in ourselves and we've gone to sleep. And we'd put up protective hedges or protective barriers so we don't have to experience that. And many of us have fallen into what I call a state of spiritual slumber. And we're asleep. Our spirit is not alert. Mark thirteen thirty five says, Therefore be on the alert. For who you do not know when the master of the house is coming, lest he come and suddenly find you asleep. 
In Revelation 16, 15, it says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. Well, these scriptures are addressed to believers and are telling us to beware of spiritual sleep that can overcome us. We need to start being awake. Amen? The, the church universal, as I mentioned, I've been a Christian all my life. I see the church universal as somewhat sick, as ill, because we're, we're frail and full of sickness, because we're not changing it. We're not influencing societies we should. If we have millions upon millions of Christians in America, how come we're not changing our culture? And a lot of it is because we're not applying things that are coming to us. We, the, the problem is not because of, the, of a lack of the Word of God. We have more access to the Word of God than we've ever had. We have it on the radio. We have it on TV. We have it in iPods. You can download things in your iPod. You can have headphones on anytime you want. When I go to D.C. on the plane, I'm, I put my headphones on and I'm, I'm trucking along at 35,000 feet and listening to, to uh, wor- the Word of God and worship, etc. But we have fallen asleep because we have not applied from within the Word of God to transform us. We have fallen asleep through unbelief. I call many Christians today unbelieving believers. We become unbelieving. We've been stunted in our church, both personally and corporately. And in areas of relationship to God, we, we have fallen asleep and cannot function correctly. So what does this mean? Well, when we come to church, many of us came this morning because it's our routine. We come to church at 9 o'clock in Rocky Butte because it's our routine or 217 or Mill Plain or wherever it is. We come to God mentally and, and emotionally, but n- we never really meet with Him. You were, when you came in the door today, God wanted you to meet with Him. But many of us, we relate to God through forms, liturgy, doctrine, theology, or even the plan of salvation, but we don't relate always to the person of Jesus Christ. We find comfort emotionally and logically in liturgy or in the forms and the procedures. In fact, we fall in love with the procedures and forget about the person of Jesus Christ. Laws and rituals appeal to our mind and will, but we can never seem to embrace Jesus personally because that requires a fully functioning and awake spirit and soul in our lives. Now, 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is prob- I think this is possibly the epidemic in the church right now. That many church people have fallen asleep because they have not been renewing their mind. Now, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, be transformed or completely changed from one nature to, na- to another nature by the renewing of your soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And we've got to have that transformed. But many of our souls have become so so hindered or harmed or uh, we've had injury to it that we've shut it off. And in shutting your soul off, you shut your spirit off to God as well. And so these people who have fallen asleep are not able to commune with Jesus. And out of necessity, they're confined to calculating and estimating with their minds what others think and feel and what God thinks and feels. They relate to God and to church more out of duty than out of love. And they're the ones that get caught up in legalism. And they like the A, B, C, D, E, F. But when it comes to relating to a person personally, it's very difficult for them. So let's talk about six signs of falling asleep spiritually and see if you're asleep this morning. I see some of you nodding. 
Here we go. Here's one, here's one sign. I'm going to give you six of them. There's more, but I'm going to give you six of them this morning. You will find that you're maybe spiritually asleep, that if when worshiping, you find your, it, it boring, uneventful, and not very inspirational. In fact, you would probably rather to come to church after the worship service is over. In fact, you, would, you might even consider skipping until Pastor Frank gets up. Because you can relate in your intellectual cognitive area, but you can't relate in your spirit. You don't feel or experience anything of God. Awaken people, on the other hand, they feel the uplifting presence and touch of the Spirit. That was awesome worship this morning. They feel the joy and love well up in them, in their soul as they begin to sing. And 1 Peter 1.8, they have joy inexpressible and full of glory. And it's just all over them. Another sign of a possible symptom of being asleep is when attempting to have personal devotions, it is not satisfying and one can never seem to hear from God. In other words, devotions are very dry and there doesn't seem to be anything to say. They don't feel anything or do they feel any motivation or feel any desire to have a devotional life. Devotions become a duty, not a blessing. And awakened people, on the other hand, they bask in God's love and they soar on eagles' wings when they're reading the word. Words and thoughts leap off the pages of the book. Understanding springs forth through the activity of the Holy Spirit in them. And they can hear God speak or at least receive direction and have intuitive hunches that God gives them in dreams, visions, maybe even prophetic direction. They thrill to walk with God daily. A third sign of being spiritually asleep is there never seems to be much creativity or inspiration in your mind. God is a creator. And I'm telling you, God wants to create in us. And many of, I think, I think heaven is full of more inventions that he wants to send to earth, but he's looking for renewed minds to plant them in. He's waiting for us to awaken, have this awakened soul and spirit. These people, when they, when they do things, it's only by rote because there's no inspiration moving through. They never have original ideas. There's no life in the expression of their life. You know, in every office, there's what I call uh, inspirational and creative people. And the, the whole company f- drives forward on their, on their shoulders because they, they, they have a thrill and excitement of doing what they're doing. Then you have the drones. I'm telling you, the drones, they never have any original ideas. And they can only copy what others originate. And they're like robots. And it's difficult to even, even get them motivated for anything. That's true in the church. Are you a drone today? The fourth symptom is the inability to commune with and communicate with others, particularly even to your own spouse. In other words, they, these people who are asleep, they can't connect with people. They, conversations tend to be meticulous or guarded or somewhat dead. They can't empathize or commune. Their relationship is robotic and somewhat forced. But spiritually alert people, on the other hand, meet each other through their spirits. And they tune into one another by empathy. They resonate with others. They have a glorious relationship. The fifth sign or symptom is the inability to overcome difficulties and fear completely overwhelms them. If you have a problem with fear today, I would say you're probably shutting something off of God because God wants you to release you from from the spirit of fear because he's not given you the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So these people tend to be always under the circumstances. You go to talk to them and all they can tell you is about their bad week. 
They had a bad week at, at, at work and they had a bad week at home and their, and their cat threw up and their, their tires went flat and they tell you every detail and by the time you're done, you're just, get me out of here. And then when you see them coming to you at church, you go the other direction because you know what they're going to tell you. Sickness, in these people, sickness can be a major part of their life because they always seem to have a broken spirit. In Proverbs 18.4, the spirit of a man can endure sickness, but a broken spirit, who can bear? Their trouble becomes the dominating center of their life. On the other hand, an awakened person bounces back after circumstances because they have a, a resiliency in them that they get up even though they fall. And then a sixth uh, sign of the possibility that you might be somewhat asleep and slumbering is there's no seeming conscience that warns you of certain things that are wrong and would grieve the Holy Spirit. Our conscience works by the ability of our personal spirit to empathize with others so that we are informed about their feelings. And a person who is asleep doesn't have this. They, they don't have that seeming conscience to, to uh, alert them to this. They might have remorse after a situation, but there's never a warning before something takes place. Their spirit is not awake, so it can't really warn them. An awakened person will grieve over hurting others and would hurt themselves before they would hurt others. Now, having said some of these, is it possible that some of us are asleep today? I would say unequivocally, yes, in maybe an area or two. What are the causes of being spiritually asleep? Well, when we're converted, we're, we're positionally born brand new, right? We're, we go from one kingdom to another. Our spirit comes alive and we're alive in Christ. But in other areas of our inner being, that new birth has not yet become effective. It hasn't been appropriated. We haven't yet worked out our salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says. And so we, we must understand that we can go to sleep in different ways. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves asleep through, through difficult and very harmful experiences, maybe traumatic emotional experiences when we were children. And we're still harboring that. And God is trying to heal you. We have a saying in our church now, let God reveal it and he can heal it. But if we hold on to it, it can never be healed. That's why James 5.16 is so important. Confess your sins to one another that you can be healed. And we need to understand that. Another way we fall asleep is through difficult and wounding experiences when we're adults. Or through falling away from the spiritual disciplines of being a Christian. Some of us haven't, we haven't opened the Bible for weeks. We come to church and expect Pastor Frank or other leaders to read the word to us and we're going to get inspired by it. But we don't read or get into spiritual disciplines at any other time of the week. How can you live spiritually? Your soul is sick when you, when you allow that to happen. In fact, do you only eat once a week? No, we should be eating every day and several times a day to keep our nurture up. Another way that we can fall asleep is through a lack of nurturing from parents as we grow up, which leads us to blame God and think he's the same way and then cut him off. So in order to protect ourselves from further hurt and wounding many, many of these people shut off their heart from the wounds, but in shutting off their heart from the wounds, they also shut their heart off from God. Though they are saved, they have not let a renewing of their mind transform them. For God wants to change their soul. So God made us to have communion with Him. So we, we need to have, we need to come alive in Christ. Can you say amen? 
The Bible says in, in Isaiah 52, 1, it says, Awake, awake, clothe yourselves in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments. Ephesians 5, 14, it says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I want to have more light today. I want to know something that's wrong in my soul. I want God to heal it. I want to be transformed. I want Him to renew my soul. And so uh, about four months ago, I've got to tell you this story to illustrate this. About four months ago, I didn't realize that I, was, I had fallen asleep in some area. And I've, I'd gone to Africa. And you know, no matter who you are, whether you're a pastor, a deacon, a leader, a, a Sunday school teacher, a, a, a person who is involved in various ministries or whatever, you can still get so involved in your ministry that you forget about your personal spiritual life. And so I was in Africa. We have a ministry in, in Kenya, Africa, in which we, we set up medical clinics. And just this last Monday, we opened a, a medical clinic in Doonbury, uh, Kenya, right outside Nairobi. And we, we house it. We uh, facilitate it. We put all the people in it to actually uh, work within the, um, th- this, this, uh, this uh, complex. And we also uh, train pastors and leaders of 3,000 churches in Kenya. So we've been in this process. I was over in Kenya four months ago. It was April. And uh, as, I was, I was, as I was there, uh, one night I was in, staying with some friends in their, in their home. And one night... All night long, I couldn't sleep. All night. And God began to download on me. Now, I know when it's God because I can't stop writing. His word, his thoughts are faster than my writing. And I was filling up page after page after page. It was a download. God was on me. I could feel it. I could feel his inspiration. I could feel his touch. I could feel his movement. It was happening in me. And I began to realize God was up to something. And two things came out. I summarized the entire pages of this, but I'm going to summarize it in two phrases. The Lord told me this. He said, the unconditional love of God will heal. And then he said this. He said, you have to, tr- you have to mentor the next generation to let them understand the, the impact of the unconditional love of God. Now, I thought, well, that's good. Hallelujah. But I didn't realize how it had touched me. The next day, as we were traveling through Kenya, I, as I looked around, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't comprehend what had taken place in my spirit because I, I began to see the pain in, in society. I saw the orphans begging and I, I saw them running after our car and I had to almost put blinders on because it, it hurt so much to think of these little children all by themselves, street children, not being cared for. And we, I, I would see this person in pain through a physical problem and, and, and this person and it was so heavy on my heart. I get home And no matter who I pray for, the pain of them comes into me. And I'm thinking, oh God, how do you handle this? Because he he sees the whole pain of the whole world. And I I realized God had done a transformation. Now, about three days after that happened, I call home to my wife, Connie. She's in America, I'm in Africa. And I began to talk to her on the phone. And as I talked to her, the Lord came on me again and I began to just almost prophesy. I don't remember what I said. She has it all written down. And we were, I, we were talking about, particularly about one young man that God had laid on our hearts to minister to. And all of a sudden the spirit of the Lord came on me and I began to weep over him. And I said to her, the unconditional love of God is going to heal him. 
And it just was, it was heavy. It was so heavy that it went through the telephone wire, I guess. My wife was sitting on the mantle in front of the fireplace. She falls off of that with the power of God. And she begins to weep with the realization that God was doing something. I get home and the Lord speaks to me and says, I now have an assignment for you. I want you to fly to Colorado where this young man is. And I want you to lay hands on him. And I want you to declare he's healed by the unconditional love of God. I said, okay. So my wife and I take off an assignment. Let me tell you, once you get your spirit awakened, he will give you all kinds of assignments. And so we, we, uh, we got on the plane, flew to Colorado, then flew to Houston. He gave us a couple assignments to fly and, and, and minister to people. And as we laid our hands on this young man with his pastor there, he began to just shake and reverberate. We laid his hands. See, he was bipolar. He'd been diagnosed bipolar since he was younger. And, and he was a minister. He was an evangelist. But this had just thwarted him and, and, and assaulted him. And the Lord said the unconditional love of God is going to heal him. So we laid our hands upon him and we began to pray for him. And all of a sudden he could feel fire coming out of his hands and, and the power of God was in the room. When we got done, the pastor's wife said, would you pray for us too? We need the unconditional love of God. So he prayed for them and God powerfully ministered to them. It was an amazing, the impartation that took place. I then began to mentor because God said the unconditional love of God will heal and start mentoring the next generation. So over the phone, over the next few weeks, I began to mentor this young man. I began to tell him how to, how to because God was taking me through the same process, how to become transformed, how to become renewed in my mind. And we began to talk through it. And I would text and email him and call him. And I've been doing it for four months. In two weeks after we prayed for him, he was totally off his meds. He was totally changed. In fact, over the last, over the course of the last few weeks, he said, Pastor Ken, I have never felt like this since I was a little boy. And now his ministry has totally been changed because he's able to articulate how the power of God can actually heal you through the unconditional love of God. The Lord spoke to my wife and I and said, he will be your case study. You will use him and the God will show you how to heal people through the process that you've done in him. And so as I, I began to realize this, God began to give me some revelation. Number one, the love of God is what looses the resurrection power of God. And in Psalms 107, it says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he breaks down gates of bronze, he cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word, healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Hallelujah. Praise God for his unfailing, unconditional love. You see, the love of God is the supernatural act of God to birth relationship back into us. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. God wants to transform you. He wants to renew you. He wants to heal some soul parts. We've been talking about this in my church. We have, I've been on this series now for weeks. We've been talking about soul grooves in our lives. Our souls have become so affected by things that have hindered us, have caused us to go to sleep, that I have what we call soul grooves. Remember, uh, those of you of my generation, we used to have those 45 records, remember that? And we put them on the phonograph and we put the needle on it, we listen to music. And those of you younger, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But we'd have those records and we'd play them. But once in a while, those records would get scratched. And every time you put the needle on, it would get to that point and go, nah, 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 nah. 
And you'd say, oh, stupid record, and you'd throw it away. You know what? We have been harmed in our souls, and we have places where there are soul grooves that God wants to heal. But you have to reveal it to heal it. And God wants to bring His supernatural, unconditional love of God to do that. Now, let me... uh, I don't do this very often, but the love of God, since since, uh, it is the uh, introduction of the supernatural acts of God, in our world, the hearts of those of us who have soul grooves or who are spiritually sleeping, we need the kiss of God's unconditional love. We need God to kiss us in a way. We need God to reveal his love to us. We need God just to touch us in a, in a unique way. I don't do this in church. I hardly ever do. But I'm going to tell you three fairy tales today, which are great metaphors for what I'm going to talk about. And the fairy tales, you all know them. The first one is the fairy tale of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, this tells the story of slumbering and, and, and captive spirits. And as you remember, Snow White eats this poisoned apple, which represents the poisoned fruit of life without affection, and she falls asleep. The seven dwarfs represent our dwarf talents when we're asleep. The wicked queen represents the devil, and Prince Charming, of course, represents Jesus. How does Snow White come to life again? By a kiss. You see, it's only love that can wake us up from our sleep. There's no other motivation that will wake us up. The second fairy tale is the story of Sleeping Beauty. You remember this? You've probably gone to Disney World or Disneyland and actually shaken her hand and seen her and taken pictures with her. Well, this princess pricks her finger on the distaff, which illustrates work without expressions of love becoming drudgery, and she falls asleep. All the servants and creatures in the castle fall asleep for a hundred years as do all of our talents and capabilities in Christ when we're asleep in Him. Hedges and thorns begin to surround the castle, and, and which represent the prickly walls of defense mechanisms that we surround ourselves with when we're asleep. But Prince Charming, Jesus, he hacks his way through the thorns with his flaming sword of truth, slays the dragon, Satan, enters the castle, and it's by the kiss of love that the princess and all her court are awakened. We need to be awakened today by the kiss of God's unconditional love. Then, you know, the frog and the princess. The frog tricks the princess into keeping him by, his, by her bedside and feeding him until he bursts forth as a handsome prince. Guess when? When he's kissed. We only hop around and croak until our spirits are awakened. It's this sick world with its evil devils who have bewitched us and turned us into those frogs into the soul groove Christians who have fallen asleep. We're being bewitched all the time by the work of the enemy in our lives through deception and slumbering. But God wants to send his love into our lives to once again awaken us and heal us. Reveal it so he can heal it. Let me give you four principles of God's love as I wind this message down. First of all, you have to understand, number one, recognize that God knows all about your circumstances. He knows when you were hurt, He knows every situation of your life. God knows you up close and personal. He keeps, the Bible says, He keeps a record of your tears. Actually keeps a record of it. Nothing escapes God's notice. God is watching you 24 hours a day. Talk about reality TV. He's got His video camera on that. In fact, God is not shocked by your sin or your struggles. He's not shocked. Oh, He says, oh, I've never seen that before. Oh, my, I better not watch that anymore. No, 
He understands. Recognize that. Secondly, recognize that God is concerned about your circumstances. Because God's love is unconditional. He's continually concerned about your situation, even when you caused it through your sin or unbelief. God's love is not based upon your performance. He's not mad at you. He doesn't, he doesn't get upset when things happen in your life. God's love is based on His character. And God is love, and that is His character. He has a never-ending love that is unfailing and unconditional. He wants to heal you because of His love that opens the powerful supernatural acts of God. Thirdly, we need to recognize that God wants to change us and deliver us from our circumstances. Sometimes He'll change you and sometimes He'll change your circumstances. But He's always there to help. Ephesians 1.20 says, I pray you will begin to understand how incredibly great His power is to help those who believe Him. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. God loves to change things. He loves to give second chances. He loves to raise the dead. God has the power to do the impossible, to raise a dead relationship, to raise a person back to health, to change your thinking, to set you free from fear and addictions. Nothing is too hard for God. And I, you know, I've been a Christian all my life and, and you know, sometimes we get into this mold, well, God just wants me to go through this and it'll be a good training thing. You know what God began to tell me when, when I received that unconditional love of God just hit? And I need to tell you this too. When I got home and I saw my wife, my wife was totally changed by the unconditional love of God. I came home to a new wife. Literally. She will tell you that. And we're just, we're both changing. We're just, we're praying over our children. We've started small groups where we're praying over them and believing that the unconditional love of God will heal them. We found certain keys that work with, with situations. But we realize that His power is to change us. No situation is hopeless. And God wants to change many things in an instant. He can do it. And lastly, number four, the fourth principle here about God's love, receive God's power by His love into your life. In other words, God's power works through His love. In other words, we need to plug into God's power. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve His purpose. We don't have enough willpower to change ourselves. We need God's power. We need God's power which works by His love. Now, have you ever noticed that this, I know this is profound, but things work best, your appliances work best when they're plugged in. Have you ever tried to use a hairdryer when it's not plugged in? Oh, man, it doesn't work. And you have to, you know, get up your willpower to, to, you know, somehow dry your hair. But things work best when they're plugged in. You work best when you're plugged into God's love. For God's unconditional love of God, it will heal you. His Spirit creates a sound soul. I close with this. I went, I was reading through Scripture and I was glancing over John 11. You all know this Scripture as in John 11, 28. It talks about the, the resurrection of Lazarus, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And we notice in the preface to Lazarus' resurrection from the dead, we notice that Jesus was moaning, groaning, and weeping. You see it three places. He moaned, he groaned, he wept. This is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. What was this all about? I was pondering this. Why was Jesus weeping and groaning and moaning at that point? Not many other places in the Bible did he do that. I believe, as the, as the Lord just revealed it to me, it was the love of God showing itself toward humanity and the pain of death that sa- Satan had perpetrated against mankind. 
God is, is groaning over the pain that we have to go through, and God wants to heal us. He wants to awaken us. He wants our soul to come alive. He moans over our affliction. He weeps over it. And Jesus was not just groaning for Lazarus. He was groaning and weeping and, and moaning over all of humanity in the pain and the sorrow that we've had to go through. Lazarus was laid in a cave with a stone rolled against it. Impossible situation. Lifeless. Jesus comes and says, take the stone away. At first they protested. It's going to stink, Lord. It's going to stink. He's been in there too. He's, he's going to stink. I don't think we should do this. But he prayed a prayer of belief. And he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. If he would have just said, come forth, every dead body in that area would have come out of their grave. <laughs> but he designated who it was. Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came out bound hand and foot. Then Jesus told him, loose them. You see, the unconditional love of God will release people, but we have to start mentoring and helping them walk through the process and and unwinding the various things in all of our souls. We have to help each other. That's why James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. That's loosing those bonds. God's love would say to all of us, come forth today and be healed and be released. Now, we've learned a couple, a, a couple powerful things, and I don't have time to tell you. I'm, I'm giving you a, the tip of the iceberg of what I'm going through in transformation of my journey. But we've learned one of the key ingredients to the release of God's love in our lives is the blood of Jesus. There's a great scripture in Colossians 1.20. It says that everything will be reconciled to the peace of God through the blood of Jesus. And I'm telling you, the blood is powerful. It's incorruptible. It's eternal. It doesn't die. And it's powerful. We must begin to apply and appropriate the blood of Jesus in our lives. And with the love of God, the supernatural power of God, and the blood of Jesus in our lives... I believe we can be set free and awaken even today.